And the story that we're going to be jumping into and we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks, um, for me, is kind of one of those things that goes, goes full circle, is I heard about it when I was a kid, and then you get a little bit older and you think, that's a dumb story. And then you come back to it and you think, well, you know what, maybe if I look a little deeper, this thing actually has some, some, something to say to me. And so the story that we're going to be looking at is the story of Jonah. And if you grew up in church, you're probably familiar with this, and immediately the first thing that comes into your mind is... A whale, a fish, something like that, and probably a coloring book in which, you know, you're, you're, you're coloring in the, the whale or the fish, and it kind of seems like this very fantastic, very mythical story, and, and as a young person, especially someone who is living in the West where, you know, modern, scientific, post-enlightenment people, when we hear this story, and if you're not familiar with the story, um, Jonah is going to end up getting uh, kind of swallowed by this giant fish, and he lives in it for three days, you think... That is insulting to my intelligence. If you think about it for a moment, just think about it. That is bizarre. You're expecting me to buy this story? And let me just kind of pause and maybe give you a couple things to think about before we even jump into the story. Is One, um, don't get caught up too much on the whole whale fish thing. Now, I do think that this story reads as historical and that there is something that happened here. And, and if, you if you were to step back and kind of look at your worldview, and what I mean by this is the lens in which you view all the big questions of the world, you may see that um, if you believe in God, this is not a problem. Think about that. Think about it. If there is a creator God who spoke everything into existence, then him allowing a, a fish to swallow a man for three days is not really very difficult, right? That seems like something he could do pretty easily. And so if there is a God, this, this doesn't seem to make a, a, big, a big issue. But the other thing is, is I don't want you to get caught up on that because there are such deep truths within this story that I think that if you revisit it and you got to get out of the children's mindset of a coloring book story and into what is the story trying to tell me, you're going to get some really profound truths about God and about yourself and, and about the world. And so we're going to be jumping in. And, and uh, if you don't know where this is in the Bible, it's in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Jonah. This is, come on. This was an easy one. This wasn't a trick question. It's in the book of Jonah. The story of Jonah is in the book of Jonah. And, um, and it takes place about 750 years before Jesus. Okay, so that's about 2,700 years ago, uh, a little bit more than that, um, from us right now. So this is a very old story. And Jonah is what's called a prophet. And if you're not familiar with the Bible and what a prophet is, prophet um, is something in which you don't really want that job, especially in the Old Testament, because a prophet would be someone who was called by God to go into a community or into a nation and, and tell people that they're screwing up, and if they don't get their life on track, God is going to punish them, all right? So usually the message, not received well, not a fun job, this is what Jonah is called to do. So we're going to take, uh, we're going to jump into Jonah chapter 1. Uh, verse 1. All right, if you have your Bibles, Bible app, you can open that up. Um, you're going to have to scroll away from the Dodger game and into the Bible app. Okay, here we go. Jonah 1, 1 through 3 says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amadi. I think. You don't know. I don't know either. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So he's called to go as a prophet. Remember, he's called to bring a message from God to these people that they're messing up. And the place that he's called to go is not where he's from. It's another nation. And in fact, this nation is enemies with 
um, his people. So he's an Israelite, he's a Jew, he is called to go to this pagan nation of Assyria, to the capital, Nineveh, and these are not good people, all right? This is kind of like, I would say it would be analogous, I think this would be analogous to you getting called to go and, um, and, and talk to members of ISIS, okay? It's not going to go over well. These people were ruthless. Not only were they enemies of each other, um, but they were, they were really good at just at killing and torturing people. And so one of the things that they were known for, they, this, this group of uh, Assyrians, is to be able to skin somebody and keep them alive, right? That's a, that is a skill, okay, is you can take someone's skin off their body and continue to keep them alive the whole time. That was like one of their things that they were known for. And so when he's called to go to this place, not pumped about it, all right? These people are not our friends. These people are pretty ruthless. I don't want to go there. And so what, what Jonah really wants to do is he wants to skip the whole God is warning you and you better turn around and get your life right. He just wants to go straight to judgment, all right? Let's skip the whole warning. These are bad people. You just wipe them out with some fire or something cool and we'll call it a day. But that's not what God has in mind. So uh, continues on. It says this, uh, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So kind of what's happening is God says, go to this city, to uh, Nineveh. And instead of going to that city, he goes, "Mm, I think I'm actually going to go the very opposite direction. And so it'd be like, God's calling you to go to San Diego. And you're like, peace, I'm going to San Francisco, right? Gone. He goes 150 miles in the complete opposite direction. So not only does he disobey, but he, he, he literally goes as far away, this is kind of the ends of the earth for them, as far away from where God called them to go. And the reason why is because, of course, he's, he's afraid. And so it would kind of be like, and when I was reading about the story, they said it would be analogous to a rabbi going to 1941 Nazi Germany and telling them they need to knock it off. Not going to go over well. And so he is going to get as far away from these people as he can. But we get to kind of our first point, and one of the major points of the story that we'll see reoccurring over and over again is Jonah believes that he knows what's best. God is telling him to do one thing, and he does the opposite, meaning he thinks that he knows better than God knows. He says these people are evil, they're wicked, and they don't deserve the opportunity to be redeemed. They don't deserve forgiveness. And so, God, I know that you're offering them forgiveness, but I know better than you do. And so instead of offering them forgiveness, I am just going to uh, allow them to experience judgment. And so the big picture of Jonah, and we're going to wrestle through this in the next few weeks, is um, because Jonah could not see a good reason for God's command, he then concluded that there was no good reason for it. Okay, so I want to make sure you get this, all right, is because Jonah couldn't see a good reason why God would allow this or would command this to happen, then there would not be a good reason. Now, do you, do you see how kind of arrogant that is of Jonah? Jonah, because you, this tiny little guy in the Middle East, because you can't see a reason why God would allow this or command this, then there can't be a good reason. That's pretty arrogant, don't you think? And so if we, uh, if we apply this to ourselves, we realize that this is our struggle too is that we constantly struggle with this idea that, you know, um, God, I don't see a reason for this happening, so there probably isn't a reason. I, I don't know why you would allow this happen to happen, and so you, you probably are off the clock. You're not paying attention. And so God has allowed maybe certain events in your life to take place, and, and as you look at those events and those circumstances, you just think, I can't imagine why God 
would allow this to happen. And you may react in different ways. You may rebel against God and be like, well, you know, God, I don't trust you any longer. Or maybe you, you may even say, I don't even think God exists because you can't figure out why God would allow certain things to happen. Or maybe it's commands. I think there's a lot of commands that we wrestle with in the Bible where he tells us to do certain things, right? Certain ethics, specifically sexual ethics, in which we go, okay, God, you are telling me to do this. You're telling me to, to pursue this and to stop this, and I can't understand why, because it's a lot of fun, and this is where I get pleasure, and this is where I find satisfaction, and so I think you are just vindictive, and you're trying to, um, you're, you're trying to stop me from experiencing all of life's pleasures, and so because you can't understand why God has commanded this, then therefore um, there is no reason and then you don't have to obey. So the big question for Jonah and for us is, does God know better or do we? Does God know better or do we? Now, the obvious answer to this is, of course, we all say theoretically, yeah, okay, God, creator ball, he knows better than I do, sure. But our natural disposition is not to act that way. Our natural disposition is always to say that, or at least to act as if we know best. Because I don't think anybody who's taken a test would go, okay, who's smarter, me or God? And you're like, I don't know, man, I'm pretty freaking smart, dude. And you're like, dink, me. No, no one's going to say that. But then if you were to look at the patterns and the way that we act, we would oftentimes say, well, I know God tells me to do this. And I know that he says that this is, this is the, the right thing for me to do. However, I'm not going to do it. And so we go off in our own direction. And so there's something inside of us that, that tells us um, that we are, we are the ultimate authority of our life, that we know what is best, that no one can tell us what to do, that we can't be, that, that, that we are going to be the authority, the boss of our life. And it is intrinsic to each one of us. It is something inside each of us, inside the human heart, that refuses to submit. We hate authority, especially when we talk about a cosmic authority, but like God, we all have authority issues. You ever met somebody with authority issues? I've had friends where you could tell them like, hey, come over here and I will give you a thousand dollars. And they'll be like, screw you. I'm not coming over there. You can't tell me what to do. And it's like, oh dude, you're kind of missing the big picture here, right? I, my prayer for you is that you will have kids one day so that you can experience um, this firsthand is my kids, they're a disaster on a consistent basis because I can tell them, hey, we're going to go to Disneyland right now. Put on your shoes. Let's go, little buddy. And they would say, I don't want to put on my shoes. I don't care. You can't tell me what to do. My, my sister's favorite saying was, you're not the boss of me. She said that up until right before I got on stage is you're not the boss of me. Always. This is her phrase in life because there's something intuitive. There's something intrinsic to all of us that says, you're not the boss of me. And so one of the things I've kind of started to do with my kids is uh, I just let them experience the pain of not listening to me. And this might make me a bad parent. I don't know. But um, I allow them like, hey, you're not supposed to jump on that. You're going to fall. You're going to crack your head open. You know, you're going to cry. And they don't listen. And I just go, all right, we'll see what happens. And it happens all the time. They come to me. And here's the favorite. You experienced this too growing up. Here is the response that I've been waiting my entire life to give them when they come crying to me when they didn't listen. And it is, what? I told you so, right? It's like, I told you so, you little punk. That's what's up. You know, maybe next time you'll listen to me. I, you know, like, it is, oh, I just, I get so much comfort in that, you know? Like, just give me those tears, little one, you know? Those are tears of success for me. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, and so all of us, 
we have this cosmic authority issue in which we, we do not want to submit. And it all boils down to who knows what's best. Do we know or does God know? And God, of course, gives us the freedom to make our own choices. And so one of the consequences of deciding that, or at least acting as if we know what's best for us, is when we, when we decide something and it conflicts with what God has for us, we end up coming into conf conflict with him and then running away. Because it's really hard to stay in that tension where you know that you're doing wrong, and so your, your initial reaction is, I've got to get away from this. So millennials are the best at this, and I've given you guys a hard time about this, and it is a fantastic. It's it one of the things that we do when we come in conflict with somebody, is, it's called uh, ghosting, right? Is this what it's called? We go, you get, like... Have you not, do you not know, what I see blank faces right now. Do you know what this is? Okay, well, I'm the cool one in the crowd then. Here we go. Uh, is, I've seen this over and over again, is when people have conflict, instead of sitting down and addressing it and coming to some kind of agreement, they just disappear like a ghost. Like, I never knew them. You know, they're out of here. They won't text me back. I haven't heard from them. I'm not even sure we're friends on Facebook anymore. Like, it's later. They're out of here. And the same thing happens with us and God is when we are in conflict with God, we will oftentimes kind of ghost God and be like, peace, I'm out of here. I don't really want to deal with you right now. And even when we try to stay close, we can tell that there's a distance there. Because if you've ever lived in one way and you know you're not living right, and then you try to talk to God and whatever, you know, whatever that means to you, and you try to pray, you kind of go, okay, God, here's what I need you to do. And then you kind of guard it like this and go, but don't look over here. No, uh-uh, uh-uh, don't worry about her. <laughs> you know, like, don't worry about this over here, this arena. I just need you to focus in on what I need over here. And it's because our disobedience creates a separation and we end up running away from God. And one of the, uh, one of the, the consequences of running away from God is we usually end up in a place that we never thought that we would be. Usually, for me, at least, is how it started. It started in, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, in which here's who I thought I was going to be as a teenager, as a young adult. And as I began to rebel against God, I started to compromise, and I started to end up in a place that I never, if you had asked me before this all took place, I would have never thought this is who I would be. And it's because as I began to run away from God, I also lost his wisdom. Because the scripture tells us that God is the source of wisdom and truth. And so as we begin to separate ourselves from God, we lose that wisdom when we lose the ability to discern what is true in our life and in the world. And the further we get away from God, the less and less wisdom and truth that we have in our lives. The other day, I, uh, I watched it. So if you don't know this about me, um, I've shared this a lot, is one of my favorite things to watch is prison documentaries. And now I've gone even a step further, and I watch, um, I watch prison talk shows on uh, YouTube in which prisoners talk about what it's like to be uh, in jail. I don't know why I'm super into this, but I'm like way into it. And so there's like, whatever. Anyway, and so I was watching one the other day, and the guy, he was telling us that he was, uh, he's a tattoo artist in jail. And he went through like what the top five tattoos that everybody wanted in jail. And one of the top five tattoos was... Only God can judge me, which I think is the best one. <laughs> like it's so, and I just think that speaks volumes, right? Because what are we saying when there's prisoners and they're putting a tattoo on them that says, only God can judge me? 
I mean, there, there's a lot, if you really dig into that, that's happening. There's one, they're talking about other people judging you and hypocrites, and okay, I get that. But there's also something bigger, like something more cosmic happening, is they know that they're not who they should be, is that they failed to live up to even their own moral code. And so they're hoping that God is going to have mercy on them. And usually, implicitly, they're inferring that it's because they have a good heart because they've done more good than bad, because they're trying to, to somehow uh, make up for all the damage that they've done in life. And so when we, look at, um, when we look at the story of Jonah, it's not that he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. It's very clear. He never, he never says, oh, I just didn't know. It's that he fails to do what he knows that he should do. And this is part of the human dilemma, is all of us, we know for the most part what we should and should not do. There's something within us, and as a Christian, this is the moral law that God has written on our hearts, that we know what we're supposed to do, right? And yet there's also something within us that just doesn't do it. We don't even live up to our own moral code, let alone anything in the scriptures. And so this is kind of what's happening with, with Jonah here is he knows what he should do, he doesn't do it, and so he is running away from God and experiencing, we will see the consequences of it, in which all of us experience it. We experience some shame and some guilt, and, and oftentimes we'll see there's these storms that are in our life, and they are a consequence of us knowing what we should do, knowing who we should be, and yet not being or doing, doing that. We end up making bad decisions. Have I lost my mic, by the way? Can you still hear me? I'm good. I'm good. Do I still look good? God bless you. Okay. Um, we make bad decisions when we run from God. Is The further that you get away from God, the further that you get away from his truth and wisdom, the more we rely on our own intuition and insight, the, the worse decisions that we make. And I think we all can attest to this, either in our own lives or we've observed it in other people. So what Jonah does is he runs away from God, and where does he run to? A boat. What are you out of your mind? You're going to go to the middle of the ocean on a boat to escape God? Like, are you asking for punishment? What is, do you have family of origin issues, Jonah? What is happening here? That is the last place that I would run to. It's a place in which I'm most vulnerable. And yet this is what happens to us is as we run from God, we lose his wisdom and we run to some pretty strange places and some pretty strange people. And so for me, I've run to some pretty unhealthy relationships as I ran away from God, I ran into somebody's arms, and it was unhealthy. It was disastrous. It, I, I knew from day one that this was not going to end well, and yet I pursued the relationship because of certain pleasures and attractions and insecurities that I have, and, or maybe it's you're running away from God, and so you're running to some, some pleasures, There's some instant gratification, and see, the misconception is that we can run away from God and we can, we can do our own thing. But whenever you run away from God, you're running to something or someone else. And when you run away from God to something or some, someone else, you're going to find that that thing or that person is going to have less wisdom, less security, less purpose, and less satisfaction. And so we have to remind ourselves, as we run away from God, we're running to something or someone else. So let's go back to Jonah. Uh, verse 4 it says this, and this is kind of powerful because we'll see this repeated over and over again. It says, then the Lord. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, then the Lord is like the oh crap moment of the story, all right? God has just showed up. Jonah, you are in trouble, my friend. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. You got to realize these guys are crying and these guys are rugged dudes. You ever watch the shows um, 
the fishing shows like Deadliest Catch and things like that. Can you imagine those dudes just like, oh, <laughs> right? Like, it's not a good look. All right. Uh, and they uh, threw the cargo, which is like their finances, that's their, that's their stuff, into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And so they're, they all have, because they're from different nations, they all have their own gods. And so they wake him up. They know he's a foreigner. And they're like, dude, our gods aren't doing anything. You need to start praying to yours to see if he will get us out of this mess right now. And so the sailors uh, end up uh, uh, trying to convince Jonah to do something about this. But here's kind of the bigger picture of this segment is there is always a storm attached to disobeying God. This is not a popular message, but... This is the truth, is there's always a storm that is attached to disobeying God. So Jonah finds himself in, in the midst of a literal storm because he has disobeyed God because he's run away. But so many of us, we find ourselves in storms, and we were oftentimes confused of how we got here. Now, I will, I will be the first to say that everybody in this room, doesn't matter if you are a saint, will experience storms of life. That is a consequence of living in a broken, messed up world. Bad things will happen. You can't avoid it. But here's what else I've, I've, uh, I've realized is that we can limit the amount of storms in our life by continuing to follow God's plan. So super simple, right? And I'm a pastor. You expect to hear this from me. But I think so many of the storms of our life are of our own making, that we have brought the storms upon ourselves, Yes, there's going to be random storms, and it's just, it's going to happen, and there's going to be bad things, but so many of the things could have been avoided if we had just pursued God and his wisdom. And so um, it's, kind of like, uh, it's kind of like treating your body, uh, either good or poorly, is eventually it's going to catch up with you. That your poor decisions about how you eat and exercise and things like that, they will eventually catch up to you. It may be immediate or it may be over time, but eventually it's going to catch up. And the same is true spiritually, is you may be able to fake it for a while. You may be, but eventually payment is going to come due. You're going to have to deal with the consequences of rebellion. It might not be tomorrow. It might be 20 years from now, but eventually it will happen. And the crazy thing is when it does happen, we are always the last person to make the connection. Is the people, all of us, who have run away from God and, and we're kind of doing our own thing and kind of being the authority of our life, we are the last people to see the consequences of those choices. Like, I don't know if you've ever um, come encounter, encounter with uh, people whose lives are falling apart, and to you it is so obvious why it's not working out. Right, you just go, okay, when you started dating this person, you thought that her being a professional dancer was gonna be a great, and what I mean by dancer is, well, you know what I mean by dancer. You thought that this would be a good mother to your child? What, are you crazy? You, no, okay. Um, you thought that accumulating all of that debt was going to help you be financially free? You thought that by dating this person, by living this lifestyle, by pursuing those things, you didn't see how this, everybody around you went, hello, time out, you're heading for disaster, and you're the last person to see it. We've all seen it in other people. The problem is we oftentimes miss it in ourselves, is we enter into a lifestyle and we go, oh, you know, we don't, we're blind to it, but everybody else around us goes, you're heading for disaster. 
Okay, it continues on. I'm going to run out of time. Okay, here we go. Let's, we got we to gotta fly here. Uh, seven. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Uh, they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Uh, where do you come from? What is your country? Uh, from what people are you? So they're trying to figure out, okay, who is your God, and, and is he more powerful than this storm that we're encountering? So what they do is they're superstitious. It's kind of like flipping a coin, really, or, um, or it would be like uh, uh, rolling a dice. Is God is going to reveal to us who has caused this storm by flipping this coin, casting lots. And it ends on Jonah, and they go, Jonah, uh, the dice are telling us that you are the reason why this storm has happened, and, um, and we need to figure out what we're going to do. So it continues on, it says this, verse 9, he said, I am a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, the God of uh, heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This, terif- this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And so Jonah knows what's up. He knows he's rebelled. He knows what he should have done, and yet he's not doing it. And he also knows what the solution to this problem is. And so what, um, what happens is he's sitting there in the middle of the ocean, and he's running away from God, and he realizes that God's after him. He has a choice to make. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, and I, I, I meet people who do. That's usually how they end up here at church, is God is after them. In fact, this is a pretty... Uh, well-known kind of phenomenon that happens is God will chase after you and try to get your attention. Back in the old days, they used to call God the hound of heaven. He's coming after you, that God will get you. And I don't mean get you in a negative sense, that he will get your attention. And we'll find out why in a moment. But I've seen people who I'll sit down and we'll have coffee and I'll be like, tell me what you believe. Tell me where you come from. Tell me your deal. And they'll be like, well, I'm not really sure. Like, well, how did you end up at church of all places? And they'll start t- laying out all these coincidences in their life. Well, I don't know. I, you know, I went to this place, and then this happened, and then it'll just a series of coincidences. And I remember having one uh, recently where I looked at them, and I just smiled, and I said, "Wow, that's a lot of coincidences. Man, this world is full of coincidences, isn't it?" And he kind of looked at me like, "Oh, I see. Where you're, okay, you think this is God, don't you?" And I go, "I don't know. I might look into it if I were you." You might be trying to get your attention. I'm not God, I don't know, but this seems like a lot is aligning right now in order to get you here. And the same may be true for you, is you may believe, you may not believe, but God might be trying to get your attention. And as he's putting up all these signs along the way, you're kind of ignoring them, pushing them, I don't really know. And you might need to stop and go, okay, if there really is a God, or if I, if I truly do believe in this God, what is he trying to tell me right now? Is he after me? What's he trying to get a hold of me for? For me, this is how I became a pastor, is, and I think I've, I've referenced this before in the verse that we talked about a, a couple weeks ago, but I never had this like crazy spiritual moment where I'm like, ooh, God has revealed himself to me, and he says, Cody, go, therefore, and be a pastor. I don't know why he speaks like that. Go and be a pastor. No, that never happened. I just kind of looked, and I went, whoa, all these things are aligning, and it's either a coincidence or God's trying to get my attention here. And so God is clearly trying to get uh, his attention here. So sailors, they want to know how to make the storm stop. And so here's what he says in verse 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. 
And so they're going, okay, look, we're not murderers. We're just common sailors. We don't want to, like, but we're going down quick. And this guy says to throw him overboard. And so they discuss it, and they try to figure out. And eventually they come to the conclusion, all right, I think this guy's telling the truth. And so they toss him overboard. Verse 17, uh, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. So not only does the storm stop, calms immediately when he hits the water, but this giant fish comes. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. I would imagine that he prayed while he was in there. I think I would probably do the same as well, right? Is if I'm in the belly of a fish for three days, which, by the way, um, look, I know it sounds crazy, but we got to come back to the, the background of the story. If there is a God, this is not that crazy. If if we as humans can provide a place in which um, we can live for like six months as a community underwater in this thing called a submarine, I'm pretty sure God can figure this out, right? And, and so here he is. He's in the belly of this giant fish. God has got his attention. And he, of course, turns back to the very thing, to the one thing that has been trying to get his attention this whole time. And so the truth is that some of the most important lessons of our life are not going to be enjoyable, the way that God may get our attention, if we're trying to deny or run away or disobey or go our own way, is he may rattle us a little bit. He may shake us up and go, okay, this is the only way that I can get your attention. If you think about the times in which you've made the most change in your life, it's probably not because you've had such an incredible season of life that you just go, I have to thank somebody for this. I think there's a God. No, that's not how this works. When you have an incredible season of life, you think, I'm awesome. It's only when you are broken down to pretty much, you're pushed down to rock bottom that you eventually start to go, okay, I can't figure this out. I gotta, somebody's got to help me out of this deal. I've run out of options. I've run out of ideas. Someone's got to save me from this mess that I found myself in. So far in the story, um, the, the, the author has described Jonah as going down, down to Joppa, down to the bottom of the ship, and now down to the bottom of the ocean. Because sometimes we have to hit rock bottom till we will actually listen to God. Sometimes we have, and this is what I love about like our, our Celebrate Recovery and what I love about AA and things like that is these are people who have hit rock bottom. And I pray that you never have to hit rock bottom, but since they have, they went, okay, I've got to figure out another option because I've been living life my way and it has not worked so far. And so um, next week, we're going to talk about why God does this. And it is not because God is trying to pay us back for something. In fact, it's the very opposite. It's because he's trying to win us back. He's like a good parent in which he may allow certain things to take place in our life so that he can ultimately get our attention for our benefit. And here's how I know this. Let me end with this. If you fast forward 750 years after the story of Jonah, we see another story begin to take place. And if you jump into the New Testament, you have this person of Jesus come onto the scene. And in Matthew 12, he says, I am the true Jonah. And I would imagine everybody around him is going, what are you talking, Jonah? Like the whale guy? What, what, what does that have to do with anything? And then he begins, and then he continues on, and this, this scene takes place in Matthew 8, 23. And listen to this and tell me if this sounds familiar. This is referencing Jesus. Then he got into the boat. And his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him and saying, Lord, save us. 
we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Do you see the you see the similarities? Hopefully it's pretty obvious. 750 years later, we see a parallel story. We have Jonah and then we have Jesus. And Jesus comes and he lives out the same story, except it kind of has a different ending. But the parallels are pretty clear. One, both are out to sea in a boat with a group of men. Both are overtaken by a storm. And in fact, the, the, uh, the description of the storms are the exact same. Both are asleep on the boat during the storm. Both have a group of men that are sailing with them that come and, and wake them up because they're, they're terrified. He even uses the same words, the Greek word for perish. Uh, both are miraculously, uh, there's an intervention in which the sea is calmed. And at the end, both groups of men are more terrified after than before because of the power that they witnessed. Now, we look back at the story of Jonah, and there's tons of life lessons that we can learn from Jonah about our rebellion and about submitting to God and things like that. But ultimately, the story of Jonah, and we will see this in the coming weeks, is it's a pointer, it's a foreshadowing that God has been unfolding this plan for all of human history. And he says, now the story of Jonah, this is going to be a pointer towards the solution. That there is going to be this person, Jesus, and he's going to come along. And, and you know how, how Jonah, the way that he calmed the storm was through sacrifice. He said, throw me into the ocean. And it is there, uh, because of that sacrifice, that the sailors are saved and the storm is calmed. Well, this is just a foreshadowing of what ultimately was going to happen in human history. Was ultimately there would be this person named Jesus. And he says, I want you to sacrifice me so that not only could these storms these weather patterns, not only could those be calm, but all the storms of life could be calmed so that you could find reconciliation with your creator, that all the brokenness and all the, all the pain and all the suffering, that ultimately all of those things could be put to rest and it is through the sacrifice that I have provided for you. And so unlike Jonah, who had to pay for his rebellion and, um, and his rejection of God's way, Jesus paid for our rebellion by sacrificing himself. And so that's how we know at the end of the day that God is not trying to get something from us. He's not trying to pay us back, but he's trying to win us back. And he proved this 750 years later when Jesus came along and he says, I'll be the sacrifice for your mistakes. And he ends up sacrificing himself. And so in the next coming weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look into Jonah's prayer as he's in that belly of, the, uh, of this fish, we see that he eventually surrenders, and then we see a prayer of surrender. We're going to give some people an opportunity to maybe there's some stuff in their life that they need to surrender, but here's what I want to challenge you, and some of you guys have done a great job, and I want to really encourage you and affirm you for this, is you've been inviting people, and part of what we want to do here, and especially in the coming weeks as we work through this series, is we want to pack this place out, not just because it'll be a really fun time, and maybe you'll find somebody who's cute, and woo, it'll, you'll hit it off, and that's probably not going to happen um, for some of you, but maybe some of you... <laughs> you're awake okay um but here's what i would encourage you is of course be here we're going to learn great stuff we're going to have a great time but bring somebody with you because here's the deal is all of us have been runners and and we know runners we've all run away from god and maybe some of us are coming back and and we're, we're finding that reconciliation but we got a lot of friends who are continuing to run from god and so I would encourage you, invite them in these coming weeks. Make it a real intentional and an effort to make sure that those people are here. And if you're new, we're so excited that you're here. So let me close in prayer, and then we'll, we'll get out here. Dear Lord, thank you so much for um, this group. 
And for a place like this where we can come and we can explore some of life's biggest questions and, and wrestle through some of these pretty profound stories um, that have been around for a really long time that give us some, uh, some insight into life. But more importantly, um, we get to find the solution to life's biggest questions. And we believe that is through a relationship with you. And so, Lord God, um, we are... Uh, we are passionate about you. We are passionate to bring this message to our community, to our friends, to our family. And we just pray that you would continue to work in and through us, whether it's to enter into a relationship with you for the first time or, or to uh, bring an influence into the lives around us, Lord God. We just thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.